Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Litarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today, we're going to be making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 261 Usman versus Vidal. Uh, two, actually, it's a rematch here. A couple quick housekeeping things. Sports betting section on Rotowire is alive and well. A couple columns every pay per view week to get you set, and we list the odds in a nice, clean table where you can sort all your props definitely check that out that's all free no subscription no account even required to check that out also uh, fight iq is going to be coming back to the youtube channel friday chris joe and sean will be breaking down the card from top to bottom here and i think that's all i've got for housekeeping so john how you been i mean we got I'm looking, you know, through the past couple of fights here, the biggest stories in combat sports, you know, outside of the uh, the circus, if you will, on Saturday is uh, overshining that, I hope, to the purists out there, is Robert Whitaker, Bobby Knuckles just kind of dismantling Calvin Gastelum. It didn't even seem that close to me here. You think he's next up for the belt? I would think he has to be. There was, I think people underrate how good Calvin Gastelum is, mm-hmm. and Robert Whitaker just destroyed him. It wasn't yeah. even close. It was just like next level. My and brother like called up Sherdog and and looked. He's like, "Well, Kelvin Gastelum's lost like four out of his last how many?" I'm like, "But look who he's fought. He, the guy's the guy is no joke." No, he's definitely no joke. And it's just there's such a there was just such a gap between the two. 
You know, I, I thought it was going to be a competitive fight. I was very, very surprised that there was such a gap between the two. I thought Gaslam would at least hold his own until the latter stages of the fight, but it really wasn't close. And I think it's certainly, I think it speaks more to everything we've seen from Whitaker than anything Gaslam's done wrong. But, you know, at the, in this sport, you, you have to, you are what your record says you are. And yeah, Kelvin Gaslam has been really facing really good competition, but you know what? He's not winning. And at some point you got to win. You can accept all the fights you want against lesser competition, but at some point you got to win and he's not winning. I, I, you know, I keep thinking back into my head, Izzy tasted his hands when they fought. That was one of the best fights of the year when Gaslam fought Izzy, but you know, Adesanya came through in the end there, and you, you have to wonder if uh, we'll have a different outcome when we start talking about Whitaker Adesanya too. Uh, hopefully, a few months down the road here. I mean, it doesn't look like Whitaker took a ton of damage. You never really know, but that'll be one that we'll talk about as the whole later schedule of 2021 starts to shape up here. But first, let's hit what's in front of us here, John. Three title fights. I mean, the UFC is going to be back in front of a live crowd. I heard the thing sold out in minutes. They're going back to Vistar uh, Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida. If you remember when the UFC said they were going to be the first event back, you know, that arena, that venue, you know, the state of Florida was the first place that kind of let them. And now, of course, you know, to pay it back and run it back, they're going to do it in front of a full crowd. We have a rematch here, John. It's an interesting one. I know you weren't so hot on the, this matchmaking here in your preview, but let's discuss nonetheless. Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal. Usman, big favorite, minus 400 to minus 450, anywhere in that range. Puts the comeback on Masvidal, roughly plus 335. 9,400 on DraftKings for Usman. Uh, Masvidal, 6,800. But Masvidal is tough, so Vegas likes this one to again see the judges, just like the first time when they fought, when it went all 25 minutes. The odds of the finish here are plus 160. John, I've been racking my brain to try to at least make a case for Masvidal to make this show a little bit interesting but can you think of any reason why this fight would be different from the first one uh I can't um I guess if you're a Masvidal supporter and you want to look at something and say well what's different between the first fight between the two um Jorge should have a full camp under his belt for this one Mm -hmm. um I guess that's something that's the big Um, one he turned and looked at Dana and said six weeks six weeks after that first fight yeah he, you know, I think he'll probably be better than he was in the first fight. Um, obviously, as we were talking, that's not a, a gigantic bar to clear. He did not look good in the first fight between the two. But um, I certainly have a diff- – I couldn't make a case for him actually winning. Um, I was really probably more impressed with um, Kamar Usman's win over uh, Gilbert Burns than maybe any of his other wins. And the reason for that is just because the punishment he took early. He was in real, real trouble against Gilbert Burns. And to me, bouncing back from that is even more impressive than just blowing through somebody. You know, anybody can just, you know, destroy anybody. But when you're really in trouble, like he was against Burns, and show that ability to bounce back, that's the mark of a champion. And I think it's the real reason that you're going to find a guy in Usman who has the ability to hold the belt for an extended period of time. You know, in this sport, it seems like belts are turning over all the time. But this is a guy who is legitimately one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world and is 
in reasonable position, I think at least, to hold the belt in this division for an extended period of time. I can see him moving up those pound for pound rankings for sure. I mean, every category, whether we're looking physically in terms of height, reach, age, or statistically in terms of your strikes landed, takes downs landed, and the defensive side of those, all of those lie in the side of Usman. And plus, like you mentioned, we have a whole 25 minute sample size of a fight where two out of the three judges basically said Masvidal didn't win a round. Masvidal came out and outlanded Usman 24 to 18 in the very first round and then could not get the edge in significant strikes in any of the other ones and of course Usman took him down five times Masvidal was unable to um you know was unable to get a takedown there he's you know not much of an offensive wrestler there and that's that that skill alone with that being elite for Usman that's another reason like you said that he's complete enough to be a champion for a long time here uh my only note that I had down for on Masvidal like you nailed John if there's any narrative it's the short notice aspect the first time around now he gets a full camp but you know these guys are getting up there and I, I just don't see how this one goes under any differently and and in terms of DraftKings and and fantasy scoring I mean with really no grappling points the last time around Masvidal he only had 31 DraftKings points in 25 minutes so I'd probably rule out stacks here too for sure which sometimes you consider with these five round main events but there's three five round title fights here that we're going to discuss so probably throw that out I guess when it comes down to it like to put you on the spot if you made 100 lineups if you mass entered something what number of those use Masvidal? Very little. Five, maybe. Yep. It's tiny. It's tiny. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it's, I don't think this event is taking place in Jacksonville, like you said. And I don't, obviously, it's the first fight, uh, the first card with fans since all this, you know, the COVID stuff happened. And I don't think that there's any way that Jorge Masvidal would be getting this shot again so soon after the way the first fight went mm-hmm. if this card wasn't taking place in Florida. I know it sounds crazy, but he's a lifelong born and bred um, Floridian, and he's extremely he's extremely popular everywhere. But he's especially popular in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Um, he as, did his best to curb that down in the in the last year with some of his uh, some he did of his antics. But yeah, he's know, popular it, there. At least in Florida, the crowd will definitely the Florida crowd will be behind Masvidal. There's no no doubt in my mind about that. There will, and you know, like we say all the time, first and foremost. The UFC is a well, although, you know, it's been so long since there's been fans, you know, probably would have sold out no matter who was fighting. But, you know, the UFC, first and foremost, is a for profit or company, you know, they're there to make money. And (laughs) if they think that's the matchup that's going to give them the most money. That's who's going to be fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Usman, Usman here. I guess the question that we'll get to in a little bit is like, is Usman the high-priced fighter out of the high-priced here that you kind of build around here? I personally can see it because, especially with the new DraftKings scoring, you know, that took place at the start of this year. The control time, the wrestling, and and you know, the high volume of strikes. He very rarely scores under a hundred DraftKings points. I think he's a great cash game foundation there. Yeah, he. You know, it's just there's no real weaknesses to his game. It's like it's really even to find some even trying to find something that's like average is difficult. Mm-hmm. Like the guy's that good. And, exactly. you know, I would have preferred to see him fight Leon Edwards. I thought that was just a better fight just overall. But, you know, it is what it is. And yeah, if this that goes, last Edwards fight ended. Yeah. With poke, yeah. It's tough to just be like, OK, Edwards, you get a title shot coming yeah. off of that. He had fought for three years before that yeah. or whatever the heck it was. Well, and Edwards just isn't as popular. You got to face yeah, it. So that's, that's know, part of it. He could get no, there. He could definitely get there. But and Edwards and Usman will we'll see the cage at one point or another. But uh, we'll start with this one first here. So the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. 
and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Usman, Usman, that was pretty easy for both of us. Let's keep her moving here. Uh, like I said, three title fights to talk about. So let's talk about Zhang Wiley defending her belt against Rose Namajunas. Uh, Zhang is 9,000 on DraftKings, 7,200 for Rose. Zhang, uh, out of the three big champions, she's the least in terms of the betting odds, in terms of favorite at only minus 200. Comeback on Rose, approximately plus 170. I find it a little funny that the odds to finish on this fight are plus 110. So Vegas seems to like this to get finished more than the Usman Masvidal one. Um, I guess what's your uh, general impression of this fight here? It's been a year since we saw Wiley Zhang. She's absolute war with Joanna, so it's probably good she took the time off here. How do you think she looks upon coming back here? I think this was probably the most competitive of the three title fights by a significant margin. Um Zhang has looked great, but the um, obvious concern is that it's a small sample size. You know, this is a woman who has 22 professional fights under her belt, but the only two real meaningful fights we've seen from her was her 42-second knockout win over Jessica Andrade, who we're going to talk about in a minute, and the Ioana fight, which she won via split decision. So if you're just looking as far as background and the quality of opposition the two women had fa- have faced, you know, that's certainly in Rose's favor. Um, I think Rose probably keeps this more competitive than a lot of other people think. Um, Rose is rarely, rarely underwhelmed inside the octagon. She's exceedingly well prepared. Um, her and her fiance, Pat Barry, have really improved her striking to the point where it was a clear weakness early in her career and now only not as an average. I'd argue that it's a strength. And Rose has seemed like she's been around forever, but she won't turn ter- 29 years of age until late June. So she could still theoretically be entering her athletic prime. And she only has 14 pro fights under her belt. You would think it'd be more considering how long she's seemingly been around, but she hasn't been in a ton of fights. Um, Rose is more methodical. Um, Zhang certainly has an explosiveness edge that I don't think Rose can match. So I it would behoove Rose not to fall behind on the scorecards in this fight simply because I don't know if she can make up the difference in a short amount of time. But... Rose is deceptive. Um, she's always been deceptively strong. She rarely loses in tight. She's good along the cage. Her cardio has always been great. Um, she's great on the mat, and now her striking has improved. So um, I would certainly not be surprised if Rose won this fight. I think she has certainly has a better chance than the odds and salaries are dictating. But it's going to be difficult against a woman who, as we said, small sample size applies, but a woman who lands 6.38 significant strikes land, you know, the, the volume mm-hmm. with Jang is massive. 6.38 per minute. She absorbs 4.43, which is hefty too, but 6.38 is a yeah. big, big, big number. Yeah, so the 4.43 absorbed thing, we just need to remember that that number is 
pretty wildly skewed because she ate 186 significant strikes from Joanna. You take right. that out, she's elite, you know, probably with the rest of the division. And you, can, you can't just take one fight off. I know it's kind of arbitrary. But, uh, I mean, 186, if you see that sample size and think, oh, man, Rose is going to get her, really the only person to touch her up like that has been Joanna. Yeah, and, you know, it shows that Zhang is willing to go back and forth. You know, mm-hmm. she she's not just one of those who will pick her spots and bob and weave. She's willing to get in there and trade. And I don't think that's Rose's best pass to victory. You know, Rose's best pass is always her wrestling and her ground game. But yeah. I'm interested – if this turns into a kickboxing match, I'm interested in seeing how Rose mm-hmm. fares because – you know, Zhang essentially went blow for blow with Joanna, and it was pretty even. And the two fights between Rose and Joanna, Rose won handily on the strength of her striking. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, different fighters, different matchups and everything. But, uh, you know, I, I think Rose is a live underdog here, and I'd be yeah. pretty surprised if this isn't the most competitive of the three title fights. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the MMA math <laughs> there because, yeah, I mean, you're right. Rose took care of uh, Joanna twice. It wasn't that close, and then Joanna faces Wiley Zhang, and it's the best women's fight of all time, one of the best fights of all time, period. Um, so <laughs> you got to love what uh, you know what that transitive property, whatever you want to call it, uh, of, of MMA math here says for Rose. And you know I'm with you; she's she's right there. But in the end, uh, I have to go and pick Zhang. I mean, outside of the uh, outside of the Andrade fight for Zhang, she's gotten a takedown in every single fight. So you know there's some offensive wrestling there. She has never been taken down in her UFC career. Now, granted, we have a five fight UFC sample size, but still, she's never been taken down in her UFC career. And outside of the Ioana fight, um, the most strikes time she's ever been hit in any fight, even a 15-minute one, has been 34 times, and that's a fight that she, you know, seriously dominated here. So you talk about prime of their career, Wiley Zhang, 31. I like that Wiley Zhang took enough time off after the war with Joanna. She certainly learned a lot in the war with Joanna, and I think she's going to keep rolling here. I think we're going to see and still, but Rose is interesting here there are not a lot of favorites on this card and i think i would be mass entering here theoretically i'd probably be a little bit above the field on rose oh yeah i would definitely be a little above the field uh you know i think there's value here and i think this should give us a pretty good idea of really Zhang's ceiling i think because you know she obviously the the joanna fight was back and forth and what she did to andrage was great but you know rose no one really goes in and makes rose look stupid you know roses keeps it competitive so i'm interesting to i'm interested to see how close this one really is because on paper i just i don't see an 1800 1800 difference between the two in salaries mm-hmm yeah, yeah, I'm with you here. Let's talk about the other women's title fight, though. Uh, we've got Valentina Shevchenko against Jessica Andraj. Andraj moving up from strawweight to compete for the flyweight belt. She took care of Caitlin Chukagian and is now getting that title shot right away. You talk about depth of the division in your article a lot, John. Uh, there isn't a whole lot here, but this fight does interest me uh, to some degree here. Shevchenko's 9500 on DraftKings. That makes her the most expensive fighter on the card. Andrade's comeback is 6700 Shevchenko, this has been an interesting odds situation because when I posted your article, John, um, you know, we had her down at minus 390 
And now I'm looking across a lot of the books uh, that I can see, and she's about minus 400. But then, you know, the legal ones that we're allowed to talk about, really, you know, you know, William H. Caesars, minus 455 there. DraftKings, minus 455 there. So she's definitely uh, biggest favorite on the card, and she's ga- gaining steam. So the comeback on Draj, that puts her around anywhere from minus 320 to minus 340, you know, depending on what kind of book you're using here. Odds to finish, minus 335 basically means vegas thinks valentina shevchenko is gonna get it done um do you think this is as much of a cakewalk for for bullet here as the odds suggest i think it's probably more of a cakewalk than the odds suggest the numbers seem low to me um i really think that joanna uh joanna excuse me valentina is bored i know it sounds crazy um i really think the competition she's facing these days at flyweight is impacting her performance. You know, her last four title defense came against Chukagian, Jess- Jennifer Maya, Jessica I, and Liz Carmouche. I mean, it's like, you know, she could go in there blindfolded and she's going to win those fights. You know, she's fighting inferior competition. Um, and it's hard to get up for those kind of fights. I mean, there's, there's- hardly 10 women flyweight fighters to rank now, let alone legitimate title contenders. No, yeah, it's it's non-existent, and um, you know, I think Andrade will probably do better than the four I just mentioned. But you know, the bar is really, really low, mm-hmm. and um, it's this really the easiest way to sum this up for me is to keep it really, you know, without going too deep in depth of stylus styles and those kind of things. The easiest way to sum this fight up is you have a fighter in Jessica Andrade who did virtually all of her successful work in the company at strawweight. You know, she was essentially a fringe roster fighter until she moved down, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a woman in Shevchenko who took Amanda Nunes to the very end twice at bantamweight. So you have, essentially, you have Andrade moving up a division from where she had her most success. And you have Shevchenko moving down a division where she fought the best pound for pound fighter in the world twice to the, you know, split decision, you know, as close as it gets. And I really think that's all you need to say. You know, there's the gap in physicality between the two is monumental. And as every UFC, at least the flyweight and the um, featherweight divisions, everything that happens in those two divisions and bantamweight too is really just a appetizer for the third fight between Nunes and Shevchenko, which we're going to get eventually. It's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's really just difficult. Like you said, when there are like 10 fighters and Andrade is fighting for the flyweight title. She's not a flyweight fighter. You know, it's because like you said, there's like 10 legitimate flyweight fighters on the roster and they have nothing else to do. And I understand like you want to, you know, there's your first card in with fans in 13 months or whatever, and you want to get a third title fight on the card. And it's not Shevchenko's fault by any means. Like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You, they put people in front of you, you beat them. Yeah. But it's it's just really hard to make a compelling case in these kind of fights. Like the one we spoke about with um, Nunes and Megan Anderson. I think that was our last title defense, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's hard to just, it's hard to get up for it. And it's hard to make a stylistic argument because they're, at least on paper, there's such just a massive gap between the two. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it's the same argument with Nunes as it is with Shevchenko, where, you know, 
what what, what gets you out of bed? What gets you excited? You know, these days here, it was kind of like uh, you know John Jones at the tail end of his his uh, his two hundred five defenses. You know, the last time we saw him out there, he was beating guys. He wasn't killing them. Or, you know, he wasn't destroying them. He wasn't finishing them. You know. Uh, but maybe Ngannou gets him out of bed, you know, we'll see. That's a whole other conversation for hopefully another time here. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Andraj, I've always liked her as a fighter, especially when, uh, she, you know, the UFC finally created the divisions for her to move down. She is a former champion, so, I mean, that has some steam. She uh, she got, she got uh, took care of Rose Namajunas via slam, then immediately lost the belt to uh, Zhang Wiley. Uh, by knockout in China and in, in, in kind of on on Jenks turf, and then and then Andrade from there lost the rematch via split decision to Rose, came up to flyweight, got the finish uh, first round finish of Caitlin Tukagian, and now here we are. Andrade is really cheap, and I think she's pretty durable outside of that Zhang loss. That's the only time she's been knocked out in the UFC. She's been and it's a long UFC career. She's been subbed a couple times, which I guess uh, is there. I mean, it, there's there's big height and reach disparities here between Valentina and Anandraj, which you you know you, you detailed by the description of the weight classes here. And someone with the Muay Thai of Valentina is going to be able to use that to her advantage. That's not to say Andraj is going not going to blitz a couple times, and she could connect, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I, don't, I just I don't really see any way Shevchenko uh, her path to a Nunez trilogy fight. It's not stopping here necessarily here. So. We're on the same page here. We're picking all three champs to retain. Um, I guess any final thoughts on those? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I I have more interest in the Mazudo Usman fight than I do this one. This is, I mean, it's it's where we are. It is yeah, what so, it is. So you think you, we like Usman is going to have more DraftKings points than Shevchenko? They're about the same price. That's a really tough one here to figure out because it's going to be outcome based. And I, I mean, Shevchenko, according to the odds, is more likely to get the finish, but. Yeah, I mean it. I guess it, it kind of it entirely. I would if you assume both are going to win easily, right? Mm-hmm. You're essentially going with who you, the opponent you think is going to last longer, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's how you're going to rack up the points. And I yeah, mean, but Usman gets those wrestling points, yeah, and the control time, and he took him down in basically every single round last time. Yeah, and so. he's a hundred dollars cheaper, right? I believe yep. he's ninety four, and Shevchenko's mm-hmm. ninety five. Yeah, I'd probably take Usman. It's yeah. close though. Yeah, I mean you're getting exposure to both here, but uh, but yeah. So okay, so. Three title fights here. I'm getting on a plane. I'm heading to Vegas on Thursday. All right, and I haven't been out there in a while. Finally, good enough to go. Um, I don't really know how to attack these three from a betting angle. So I'm thinking, you know, this is kind of a cop out. But if I take all three champions to re- retain their belts, we go minus four hundred, minus two hundred, and minus four fifty five. I'm just using the DraftKings Sportsbook or or the Caesars William Hill odds here. You know, just you know, guys that we know, you know, that, that, that parlay takes it to about plus 28. So you can get slight or plus 128, excuse me. So you can get slight plus money to just bet on all three champions to retain. And I, I think that's the route I'm going to go because I'm not really seeing a lot of upset potential here. It's a pretty chalky stop top of the card. Yeah. Or, I mean, if you want, or you could, you know, if you want to try and hit a home run, you take Uzman and Shevchenko and then you put Rose in there and then you get Oof, geez. Yeah, you know, then we then we really plus a lot. Run. Yeah, plus a lot. Yeah, so yeah, you know, I mean, maybe... it's it's Usman and Shevchenko, and then you know you go from there with whatever you want to make the third or fourth part of the parlay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll keep rolling down the um, rolling down to see what happens here. We got a middleweight matchup: Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman. Uriah Hall eighty three hundred, Weidman seventy nine hundred, but Weidman has actually moved 
to the betting favorite. He's about minus 115 when we posted the article that you had, John, yesterday, and now he's looking at about minus 125. That surprises me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he keeps getting some steam, and I'm not entirely sure why on that. If this goes in this direction, I think I'm going to bet Hall a little bit, but uh, we'll get to the breakdown here first. Uh, Uriah Hall, plus 105 here, I guess, looking at these books. you know, Some books have still I'm around minus 110, but um, and the odds to finish minus 135, which also surprised me a little bit on that. Um, I'm hesitantly going to pick Hall in this one, but I don't really feel great about it. This is a tough one because it's the closest fight on the main card, and where you make your stand here could prove to you know steer your lineup in the positive or negative direction yeah i took wadman save the 400 bucks but yeah it's just you know essentially pick them for me too um it's pretty straightforward uh it's really probably going to come down to whether chris's durability holds up or not Mm -hmm. um and look it's uriah hall is a pure kickboxer striker but it's not like uriah hall has a big uh, is a high motor guy you know Araya Hall has been accused in the past, and he's openly admitted it. He is he's just he's a nice guy. He has difficulty just pushing the pedal to the metal and going in and trying to beat the crap out of somebody. It's not you know, that's not his personality. Yeah. I mean, it took and, a long time to finish forty four year old Anderson Silva. That's yeah. the one thing that I hesitate on that. Yeah. And I mean the issue for Chris is that his he, he God, I feel so bad. You go back to the first, and we talk about it every time we talk about a Wagner fight. You go back to the title fight where he lost to Luke Rockhold. He lost his belt to Luke Rockhold, and he was in such good shape. And then he went for that spinning nonsense, and his career has like fallen apart since it happened. Mm-hmm. And not he, you know, he's been victim of some crazy commission rules, and he's had countless surgeries, and he's been hurt. And it's just it's been tough, but there's just there's such significant durability issues with Chris. Um, you know, they're both 36 years old. And if Weidman's chin holds up, you don't forget how, you know, you don't forget how to wrestle, you know. Yeah. So if maybe Chris can get your ride to the hall, uh, your ride to the hall, uh, your ride to the ground <laughs> and, um, you know, rack up some control time holes takedown defense is 69 percent, which is fine you know that's solid average um i took wideman essentially because i viewed it as a pick and i'd wanted to save 400 bucks mm-hmm. um chris will probably be heavily owned he's still really popular yeah that's was the fact he's had a hard time lately mm-hmm. that was kind of my angle on this one one everybody knows chris wideman's name the all-american a former champion Two, you're getting a ton of line value here. So, like, our default projections model in our lineup optimizer on RotoWire just uses odds implied win percentage, takes the uh, takes the GIS out of it, and tries to get you the best the lineup that's going to give you the best odds to have six guys win and or or girls win. And um, so, Weidman, that line value for the poker crowd or whatever, he's going to show up in all those optimals unless you start adjusting the projections here. We also have you know a projection set to use if if you wish. Um, so again, Weidman's owner ownership in this you know I, I don't try to get into predicting that too much but i could see him being the most popular fighter below eight thousand dollars for sure could see his ownership get up to 30 40 45 percent here just because of the math here for that reason i like hauling this fight a little bit um, but you're getting a ton of leverage on the field because how much are people going to pay 8300 for a for a for a uh, underdog here for a plus money underdog? So that's not going to happen. You know, you get 
if you're trying to win GPPs and you want to be different, this is one way you could go about that. Hall has a plus 200 win by knockout prop, which is second on the main card, only to Jim Crute, who we'll talk about here in a second. Crute sits at plus 185. Um, so yeah, among those pay-per-view card options, I think Hall's someone, it just depends. He's got to let his hands go. Do you think, you know... I don't know. I mean, Dana, Dana took a shot at him last time about the Silva fight, saying it took him so long. Like, man, it took him that long. You know, he doesn't finish anybody. Will he let I, his hands go? It, he never does. You know, like, look, Hall's won three fights in a row, but those three wins are over Anderson Silva, who, like you mentioned, he got it, but it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Antonio Carlos Jr., who he beat via split decision, and I'm fairly positive he's been released since then. I'm almost 100% positive. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, Bevan Lewis, you know, like it's not like a murderer's row of competition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's also the fact that Hall has a history of, you know, I'm not counting Anderson because it was like the last fight of his career, but Hall has a history of not performing particularly well against better competition. Mm-hmm. Now, no one's saying Weidman's the guy who, you know, beat Anderson Silva for the UFC middleweight title, um, you know, and was one of the best fighters in the world, but, um, I think Hall has more gas left in the tank than Weidman. I'm not totally confident about that. But then there's the stylistic issue. Like if you told me Hall was always aggressive and like was constantly pushing forward, I'd pick him in a second because I don't Mm -hmm. think Chris's chink can hold up. But like this is either for me probably going to be one of two things. It's either going to be a Hall knockout or it's going to be a boring Weidman win. Yes. And in a boring Weidman win, you're not – scoring a ton of DraftKings points. I know the grappling helps a little bit, but unless Chris is racking up the ground and pound while he's down there, it might not be a great score. No, and I mean, and I could totally see an instance where if Chris gets a takedown with like three minutes left in a round, Hall's not moving. And Chris is a big dude. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have to do a ton to keep him on the ground. Like as long as the ref doesn't stand them up, like Chris can grind his way to the end of the round mm-hmm. and then he's not going to score a ton of fantasy points, but you know, he's going to get a bunch, you know, he's going to mm-hmm. bank, you know, points yeah. with the judges. So yeah, it is what it is. Help a little yeah, bit, but that's not enough to make a fighter like that. No. Suddenly get a hundred points in decision. You need to throw some striking volume on there too. It's close. I mean, uh, you know, the, and it comes back to, I'd probably get a piece of this fight in some form or fashion only because, yeah. You know, we'll talk about it in a minute. The undercard, after you get to the main card of the pay-per-view, the undercard of this is not good. And yeah. it's a lot of guys we don't know a lot about. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get to yeah, that I in a minute. Yeah, I find a tougher time picking some dogs here. Yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think in cash games, I'm probably going to stay away from this fight. Um, and then I'm going to try to get some Hall in, in some tournaments because of the whole leverage aspect. If Hall can come through plus 200, get that knockout, then suddenly I'm above 45% of the field. And I like the look of that heading into the, uh, you know, the pay-per-view or the, the, the title fights when I have a shot here, but let's keep, uh, keep it moving here. Talk about a light heavyweight matchup here. Some names people recognize Anthony Smith going up against Jimmy Crute. Crute 8,900 on DraftKings. Smith comeback 7,300. Crute is a, about a minus 190 betting favorite. You know, I'm looking around here. I catch him at minus 200 in a couple of places, but about minus 190. So the comeback on Smith, that gives him plus 165, depending on your book. Um, height and reach go to Smith. Experience goes to Smith. But Crude is eight years younger and entering his prime. So how do you think this one goes? 
so essentially I have the same concerns about Smith as I have against uh, have about Weidman and um, for two different reasons. Weidman, and it's the durability issue. And with Chris, it's because he's just been so banged up and everything. And for Smith, it's just because he's been in so many damn fights. I mean, he has 50 professional fights under his belt, and some of them have been absolute all-out wars. And somehow, and I, this is one of the crazy when I was doing writing up the preview article for this this card, the craziest. Anthony Smith is only 32 years old, I, which I I could not believe that. You know, if you Anthony Smith's been around, he's been multiple runs with the UFC alone. He's fought everywhere under the sun. And somehow, I would have said, how old is Anthony? I don't know, 36, Bellator, 37, strike, something like that. Force. Yeah, he's been Holy everywhere. Cow. Yeah, yep. it, it, I, that was unbelievable when I saw that. He's only 32 years old. But I'm wondering if his body's breaking down on him simply because he's been in so many fights. Um, this is, and we've talked about lately with some of the pay-per-view openers, where we didn't think they were great fights. This is a really good pay-per-view opener. It's two big, big guys who both fight physically. Mm-hmm. And that's really what you want. You know, you want an action-packed fight, and this should be it. Um, I have a really hard time picking Anthony Smith to win this fight. You know, like you said, you got a guy who's eight years younger. There's probably a athleticism edge in Kroot's favor. Um, on the flip side, Anthony Smith is considerably better than anyone Jimmy's faced in his career. Like there's a big, big gap. And even this Anthony Smith, I'm not talking about, you know, you know, a couple a year or two ago, this Anthony Smith is still probably better than anybody Jimmy Crute's faced thus far. Um, another little nugget, you know, not wouldn't make me change my pick, but this is only the second time Jimmy Crute's fought in the United States, you know. Uh, he fought when he fought for, in the Dana White Dana White's Contender Series in July 2018. That's the only time he's ever fought in the United States. That's not enough to get me to change my pick, but that's something to keep in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just there's an durability issue for me that I'm having a hard time getting by. Um, I'm going to take Crute. The di- reason I took Weidman was I didn't think there was a much there was much of a difference between him and Hall. Like, even if I'm concerned about Weidman's durability issues, I'm not sure Uriah Hall, who is the same age at age 36, has enough left in the tank to make up whatever Weidman lacks. If Anthony Smith isn't ready to go, Jimmy Crude is young enough and talented enough to make him look really bad. Yep. Um, and that's that's my real concern. Um you know, the losses to both Glover Teixeira and Alexander Rochich last in the middle of 2020. You know, look, Glover's going to fight for a title. Rockich is, you know, on the verge of getting in that picture. You know, though you can lose those fights. But the problem is I don't have the, the win over Devin Clark in November doesn't do anything for me. I, I, I'm he's just this is really a fight. Anthony Smith kind of has to have if he wants to stay on the fringes of title contention. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think those days are probably over when we talk about fringes of title. Yeah, they probably. The the Glover to Sheriff fight, I feel like that took years off his life. I mean, Glover just beat. The crap yeah, out of him. For the, the I mean, didn't stop yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Smith, that that one that the one that should have been stopped that anytime in the whole first fourth round, and you know the tides were turning that in the third so round pretty bad, and just Smith ate shot after shot after shot of ground and pong. That was one of the worst ones we've seen. Who yeah. was the Jason, and that's surprising because yeah, Jason, that was Jason Herzog, well, and Jason Herzog give, really. 
I mean, again, Smith's got 48 fights, right? So if Smith's still moving around to some degree as a ref, you get want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he was so done. He was so done, was, though. And, was, and I mean, he, don't forget that too long before that, he could have been light heavyweight championship uh, after he took that knee to the face while he was down from John Jones. So, yeah, 32, but he's, he's a lot older in MMA years. And for that reason, you know, I'm going to pick Crute as well as the favorite. I'm going to get a little bit of him on DraftKings because I like his finishing odds. Um, you know, I just, there's another side of this though, where, you know, as much as I think about this, it's like, okay, Crute's 25 years old. He hasn't really faced anyone. Smith has miles and miles and miles and miles on experience. So as long as he can, you know, stay out of range and avoid the big, big shot. Like Smith should be able to contend and he might be tough to put away, but I just, I, the miles on him are a little bit too much for me. I think this will be a little bit of a change in the guard. And uh, of course, Vegas has these odds this way for a reason. I think I got to go crude uh, overall when I'm making the pick. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing I, the one thing I'll say is there's nobody, you know, the Glover fight was the perfect example. There's nobody on the roster tougher than Anthony Smith. I mean, you know, this mm. he is as tough as nails. If there's anybody who's tough enough to pull an upset, it's him. It's It seems like a tall task to me. Yeah. All right. So now we get to a real tough part of the show, John, where, you know, I was trying – that was a difficult part of the prep for the show today is trying to find a handful of underdogs that uh, might be viable or, uh, you know, guys that you just might play to fill out your lineup here. And I was having a tough time, but I'll let you take the floor first. Did anybody stand out for you? So, not the two on the undercard, which... I know you picked I, a couple in the column. So I, I picked a couple. Um, did I see today that the Jeff Molina fight got canceled? Uh, no, Molina's think? still on. There was an ID matching thing in her optimizer, but I think that's still on unless I missed that. So, I don't know. I thought I read something about that. Look, the two that interested me a little, one was Carl Roberson against Brendan Allen. Again, if all things being equal, I don't love it. Roberson 7,800, Allen's 8,400. Vegas odds. Robert Roberson's plus 125 Allen's minus 145. So you're getting a plus 125. It's about 7,800. That's decent value. Mm -hmm. Um, Roberson has been inconsistent, but he's a good athlete. The other one who I didn't pick was, uh, Alex Oliveira against Randy (laughs) Brown. Is that where you were going to go? Yeah. So, I was making my lineup here, all right? And listen, I didn't have this upset pick beforehand. I start with Usman because we talked about Usman, you know, versus Valentino. Who do you build around? So I start with Usman, right? And then I threw Uriah Hall in there for that leverage argument. And then I took your advice and I went Roberson. Then I put Jimmy Crude in there because I like his knockout props. Then I put Jeff Molina at 8,000 because it's basically a pick um, you know, against his opponents. There's a tiny bit of line value there. I was stuck with $7,600 left, and I'm looking through this whole list thinking, geez, like, you know, what? Tristan Connolly maybe look good against Diego Ferreira, but Sabatini seems to be a good deal making his de- debut, you know, big favorite, you know, dominate a little bit on the regional scene. I ended up going Oliveira. And I like Randy Brown. I think Randy Brown's a good fighter, but Oliveira's a little bit more experienced, and he's not going to be phased by this, and he's not going to just get overwhelmed by Randy Brown. And plus, Randy Brown is coming off a pretty uh, a vicious knockout there to Vicente Luque. He's been knocked out by Nico Price before, so you know he can be got, and you know maybe Oliveira can get him. You know, but again, not because I feel great about it. He was just like the best of the bad options with a little bit of salary I had left. Yeah, and I mean, Randy Brown is a more of a striker than a submission guy. 
and Alex Oliveira, who fights a ton. He fights like three times a year every year. Every time you look around, he's fighting. He's been knocked out once in his career. That was against Yancy Medeiros back in December 2017. So, you know, it's there's an athleticism difference. You know, Randy Brown's far more athletic and far more fluid than Alex Oliveira is. And... But both guys have struggled with consistency. You know, Randy Brown has like legitimate skills, but and he's pretty big for the division. You know, he's six foot three, but there's a gap as far as and you know he was knocked out by Vicente Luque in his last fight. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, Vicente Luque is really good. Before that, you know, submitted Worley Alvarez, knocked out Brian Barberina. But then he was knocked out by Nico Price. And, you know, like Nico Price is like a one dimensional striker where, you know, you know what you're getting before you step into the octagon. So mm-hmm. what, what been do you think would be a good matchup down. for him? Yeah. Yeah, you would. I mean, there's been up and down from both guys. I mean, this is one of those cards where I would absolutely 100 million percent advocate doing all you can to construct the majority of your lineup out of the main card and the first mm-hmm. card on the undercard, uh, the first fight on the undercard. Yeah, I mean, not only knowing what you're going to get, but taking advantage of those five-round fights, you know? Yeah, there's, this is, I mean, they're a fighter, you know, one, we, we'll get fighters on the undercard sometimes where it's one fighter we know a little bit about against somebody who we don't know much about at all. I mean, you're getting fights on the undercard here where like there are multiple fighters where we know like nothing mm-hmm. like are and it's just it's one really, two fight sample it's, sizes it's, it's yeah i mean say what you want about you know uriah hall or chris weidman where you you know you're not sure but like we've seen a million uriah hall and chris weidman fights like, mm-hmm. like we know what we're you know we know the skills of the guys yeah. We've seen Anthony Anthony Smith for fifty times. You know what you're going to get with Anthony Smith. Some of the other fighters, they're just they're big, big risks. Mm-hmm. I think there are four people debuting on here, and then like two or three more with only one or two fight under their belts. So, yeah, it's a lot of wild cards. So, like, props to uh, I, I got to hand it to like Chris who made projections for these guys for our optimizer, and and those guys are going to try to make some sense out of those fights at Fight IQ on Friday. So good for him. Um, I was looking at some lineup building strategy here, you know, kind of coming back to the to the beginning. Jessica Andrade is sixty seven hundred. She's the cheapest on the thing on the card. And even if you don't think they're going to win, I mean, Andrade Masvidal. If you want to use five favorites in your lineup, you almost got to start with one of those sixty seven, sixty eight hundreds, and hope for the best. Maybe at least you're getting someone in a five round fight, and then and then you can use favorites largely the rest of the way. Especially if you use someone with line value like Molina or Weidman, you know that's on there. So. I'd never like to punt one spot, especially in GPPs, because it pretty much rules you out. But you could hope for a miracle and take that strategy to build lineups this week. I don't know. I was just I was having a hard time. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's certainly you know we would both tell you to work off the main card and go from there. Like even if it means you got you have to you know try and punt with Mazidol or Andrade or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly. You certainly should use the main card as your base, no matter which way you go. Whether you use it as your base for higher price fighters or your base for lower price fighters, because there's there's a steep sudden drop off, and it doesn't get much better as you go down, and it it's hard to find those ones to fill out your lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 100 percent with you there. So I think 
I think we're going to leave it at that. I mean, uh, we'll we'll keep watching the weigh-ins and everything through the week. Stay tuned. Give at Rotowire MMA a follow for all the latest news. Make sure we can avoid any cancellations, anything like that. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening again to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Once again, give John a follow on Twitter. Uh, that's at John Litterine at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Jake Litarski, or I'm Jake Litarski. You can follow me at Roto Jake, and then John will be back before UFC 262. Charles Oliveira against Michael Chandler. That is the next That's one. That's a up. good fight. That is a very that good is fight. a good fight. Not Absolutely. what a lot of people thought the lightweight division was going to do next, but with Poirier McGregor kind of going to get it on on International Fight Week, uh, this is the best fight they can make and. I'm excited. That lightweight division yeah, is Yeah, I got no problem with that one. And then we've got Gaethje hanging around in the background, too. He's one of my favorite fighters to watch, and they can just do a lot. So it should be a good here as we get into the second quarter of 2021. A lot of good fights, live crowds. Should be a blast, John. Yep. Looking forward to it. Nice to have a card with uh, fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, of course, thanks, as always, for getting, getting together with me today, and uh, best of luck with your lineups. Absolutely.